At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, December 20th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I am here today with Luke Guerrero. Thanks for being back with us, Luke. Thanks for having me on this rainy day. Rainy day. It is a uh, rain a little bit today, but it's supposed to get a lot more over the next few days. And it was a bit of a rainy day in the markets for once after a string of positive weeks. It looks like this is going to be that week where uh, things kind of settle down a little bit as we close out the year. But we're going to get to that topic here in a bit. Now, the first off, we have to set up what this show is all about. And that's this show is about you. Show is about your questions, your comments, your concerns. You drive the you drive the bus. And we have different topics we want to discuss. And we're going to give you investment data and unbiased perspective developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience. And we're going to run down the market performance as well as some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hi, Steve and Justin. Hey, can you look at the stock ball, you know, like basketball, right? Ball canning jars, uh, B-A-L-L, and tell me if it's a good buy. And it looks like they're going to make some good money. And uh, thank you so much. All right. Looking at Ball Corporation, been around for a long time. And what they do is, as you would expect, they make ball bearings. And it's a consistent business, the world's world's largest metal, uh, sorry, they do make ball bearings, but it's the largest metal can manufacturer in the world with a market share of 40% in three regions, North America, Europe, and South America. Um, It has a good business. Uh, it, but it has a lot of debt and that's what I see. Uh, to me, this looks like a, a business that could struggle underneath that, the weight of that debt. Now, historically they have good profitability, 16% return equity today. Five-year average is around 19%. That's pretty good. What are your thoughts, Luke? Does, is the recent pullback given the market a buying opportunity here? Yeah, I think I have to agree with you here on their debt situation. It looks like they got roughly $9 billion in debt on an $18 billion market cap company, and their margins aren't really massive. I don't imagine how massive they can be in the ball-bearing business, but... Or the can-producing business. Yeah, sorry, can-producing business. But um, yeah, I think think especially given where we expect the terminal rate of interest rates to be a lot higher than it's been over the past decade, a company like this that has small margins to begin with and a high debt load is is not something I want to be in right now. Yeah, I just think there are better opportunities 
in the industrial space. Now you could say it's mid cap uh, part of the market and you want more exposure there, but I want something that's growing better. Earnings this year is only supposed to be up 3%, 9% next year. And both of those estimates are coming down. So I don't like the earnings trends. I don't like the technicals. It's bounced recently, but it hasn't really broken above uh, major resistance at about $62. That's trading at 55.70. Revenues last quarter were down 10%. Don't love that. So yeah, like Luke said, just too much debt and you have better opportunities in the industrial space. Now we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 40 minutes. And this is what we have planned. Could a reverse mortgage make sense for you? That's our main focus point. And we're going to talk about reverse mortgage loans and whether or not the amount of equity you have in your home uh, would allow you to apply for something like that and how that might relate to the housing market outlook long-term. Also, we have a, everyone can kind of say we have a different economy than we did pre-pandemic. The question is, how different is it? And hint, in some ways, it's not much different. And in some ways, it's very different. So we're going to look at some data there. Also, the Middle East geopolitical turmoil that we have today. It initially kind of roiled oil markets, but when it didn't really spread beyond the Gaza Strip, oil prices kind of reversed and fell. Now you have a new issue in the Red Sea that could be the start of the spread of conflict. Um, so we're going to look at this and whether that will have an impact in on, on the oil markets heading into 2024. And then lastly, the market has rallied substantially, but in many ways it's been in some of the most shorted stocks, some of the most unprofitable stocks. So we're going to look at that data and unpack what this means for the market as a whole and your portfolios. We also have some voice bank questions. One is on Silvamo Corp, as well as IRAs. And I have an iTunes view question to get to as well. Luke, this was the first red day we've had in a while. And market was overbought. So kind of due for a day like this. And the question is, is this a time for people to start taking profits after this recent run? Yeah, I think despite the sell-off, I think the main message is that nothing really changed. Like you said, conditions were pretty overbought. And because of that, some people were trying to started to trim their gains. Maybe other others who held positions for longer times as we reapproached highs where maybe they bought in before were starting to trim as they broke even. Overall, I think that as we head into the holiday, liquidity tends to trim down a little bit. Maybe now is a good time to take some of those some of those gains if you have the room to do so uh, for tax purposes. If not, maybe you have to hold it off till next year. But overall, there's not really a big shift in the narrative today. This mostly just seemed to be because of market conditions. Yeah, I, I think the biggest risk in the market over the next couple of months is going to be a shift in expectations in Fed policy. Yeah, there's been a big shift in where the 
where the market is expecting the Fed to go over the next six months, which is basically, hey, they're going to start cutting end of first quarter, early second quarter, and probably have three cuts by mid-year. And the reality is that's probably a little too aggressive. Would you say that's the case, Luke? No, I agree. And I think if you need to, if you want to look for evidence that it may be too aggressive, look at what the Fed has said. Yeah. So it seems to me they're like trying the to Fed walk is, it back already. They're tr- they're trying to walk it back. They're trying to tampen down some expectations, but the market keeps saying no, no, no. This is this is what the the path of rate cuts is going to be. So if it doesn't end up being that when that's already priced into the market as it appears to be now, I know the chance of a rate cut in March has come down a little bit, but but still, I think I think if it doesn't follow the exact timeline that the market believes, that's where the real risk is in mm-hmm. some some retracing of this rally. Yeah, I think the. My base case is the Fed or the the market has gotten way ahead of the Fed in pricing these cuts in and that there will be a cutting cycle probably commencing next year, but more towards the back half of the year. Because as we saw this year, the the market is is kind of really trying to front run that next recession and trying to get ahead of it. And the first half of this year with the banking crisis and everything, the market was kind of pricing that in, that the Fed was going to commence on a rate cutting cycle by year end. And then by mid-year, you had the Fed raising rates again a couple more times. And the sentiment shifted completely the other way, right? Higher for longer. And now the Fed has paused officially, it's kind of flipped back the other way. So this is a good example of the pendulum can swing usually too far in each direction. And it rarely stays kind of in the middle. Uh, And that's because there's positioning. Positioning needs to be unwound and typically things go too far. So not shocking to see a bit of a setback today. Uh, It wouldn't shock me to see a little bit of volatility as we go into year end. Now, as we head to a break, I want to remind you of our holiday giveaway contest. And we're giving away free copies of Steve's book about average investing for the average investor. And they're autographed. Actually, went over Steve's house uh, recently and had him autograph them. So you can enter chance to win by subscribing to our YouTube channel, following our Instagram account, and liking our holiday giveaway post and tagging three friends. The phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 chart Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. Even to growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. Hi, Will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, 
plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. I have a question about where to store holdings for stock buying and investing. I have an IRA, but it's maxed for the year. Is it wise or even legal to have several IRA accounts? Or what is the best way to set up accounts to invest from? Uh, Anyway, appreciate everything you guys do. Love the show. And I look forward to hearing the answer. Have a good one. I have multiple IRA accounts, but that doesn't get you around the IRA contribution limits. So, and you can also have, for example, a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA and split the contributions between your IRA and your Roth IRA. But you can't do the limit, say 7000 per year in each of those accounts. It's an aggregate total contributions to your IRAs. So nothing wrong with holding a, a handful of different IRAs, maybe different brokers for various reasons, et cetera. Uh, there's no limit to that, but there remains a limit in IRA contributions. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8892 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's go talk to Felipe in Washington, D.C. He wants to talk about bonds. Hi, Justin. This is Felipe. And um, I, I work for the federal government, um, like many mm-hmm. people in Washington, D.C. And we only have a choice of essentially three or four different options in our retirement plan. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I wanted to ask because I've heard on a previous episode you were discussing um, AGG basically the Lehman Bond Index, which would correspond to our F fund, um, as you know, basically it looked like it was going to head downward. It was making lower lows and you know, um, low, uh, higher lows and lower highs, or something like that. And um, my, I've always heard, and I've done a lot of reading, uh, that as interest rates go down, bond indexes go up. Why am I wrong? If interest go down, bond indexes go up. Correct. Yeah, that's that's true. They're they're inversely correlated. So if interest rates go up, bond prices go down. But then why and would AGG, the F fund, essentially be not good right? Well, it's because that is it owns bonds, right? And if interest rates are rising, and there yeah. is a duration to the, those holdings then they will fall, right? The longer the duration, the more sensitive they're going to be to interest rates. And so you probably noticed the, was it the S, the F fund that has rallied as of late, just like AGG has. It it, it has, you were saying just on like an episode or two ago, AGG, you didn't like it because it it seemed to continue trending downward. Exactly. So there's a difference. There's always timeframes. There's long-term, the short-term. In the longer term, if interest rates are on, in an uptrend, which we do think they are, to what degree, who knows, uh, then AGG will not be generally a good place to be. Uh, but in the short term, when you have, and that, that's that's what we call a secular trend, then there are cyclical trends where rates can pull back, if, especially if the Fed's going to embark on a rate cutting cycle. But it's probably likely that the bottom of that rate cutting cycle isn't zero again. It's probably, you know, three and a half, four percent. Uh, and then you start seeing rates move back up again. So that's, there's a difference between the long-term and that short-term. Long-term, no. Yes, near-term, you know, I think AG and that SF fund can do okay. All right, we're going to a quick break. Please give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, our main focus point is set up by this headline, can a reverse mortgage make sense for you? And reverse mortgage loans are mainly for retirees, and they're basically the inverse of a traditional mortgage, meaning it starts small and it grows as opposed to starts big and it declines because you... And that's that's for most of these. There are, there are different structures, et cetera. But you trade your equity that you have in your home for cash, either either a lump sum or over time. And you get to live in the home. And the only time you have to sell the home is if you change the status of your residency. I mean, you no longer work there or you pass away and your next of kin now has to deal with that debt. Now, the biggest issue with them is that they are high in fees and interest rates tend to be higher than the prevailing rate of normal mortgages. So be ready for that. But I do think that they can be great tools for the right person that needs to access their equity in their home, needs that money, but doesn't really have the ability to make a monthly payment. And I'll tell you this, my mom actually did one a few years ago and it fit her because she wasn't going to move, no plans to move. And she rather had the money and she had a very small mortgage on her home compared to the value. She's able to basically not have a mortgage anymore. These no, no mortgage payments, shall we say. So, Luke, I think this is a tool that's underutilized by most people, would you say? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's also important to note, though, that it's not as though you just take an income stream from the equity in your house and then that's all said and done, right? You're still on the hook for paying property taxes. You're still responsible for home ownership costs, homeowners insurance. And generally, because now the bank or whoever you're taking the loan from has a claim on the asset, they're also going to want to make sure that you don't you know, burn it down. They want to make sure that you're actually still taking care of the house. So it's not like you just take out a loan on the equity of your home and then all said and done, you pay it back. It's paid back when you die or when you move. Um, you still have to maintain the property in a, in a way similar to somebody who owns the full ownership of the home. Yeah. What, the one thing I really like about this loan is that it's non-recourse, meaning so there's an income stream that basically comes off of it indirectly. It accrues over time and interest accrues over time. Um, you, can, you can take an income stream, an active income stream from it. Um, but basically, if the value of the home drops, you're not on the hook for it. And I think that's very interesting in a time where obviously home affordability is rough. If interest rates continue to rise, it's going to put pressure on home prices as it has to a degree, obviously there's offsetting factors and there's, there's complexity there. But let's say a loved one takes the, the reverse mortgage out, they live in the home for 20 years, they pass away, and now the, the value of the home is less than the money that was effectively borrowed. Well, you don't have to, the, the next kid doesn't have to make that up. 
or if they sell the house, they don't have to make that up. The only recourse is that home. Now, for that reason, that's why there are higher fees. The interest rates are higher because this is actually a government-sponsored program in many instances by the FHA. And there are some requirements, though, for what, what are called home equity conversion mortgages. And you have to be at least 62 years old. The home has to be your primary residence. You have to either own the home outright or have a considerable amount of equity. So that's one thing. You can't just take out all the equity in the home and, and, and you're good to go. You also have to not be behind on federal taxes, student loans, et cetera. And you have to actually meet with uh, a counselor, FHA counselor here. So, and the loan limits are still pretty large, Luke, over a million dollars, a million one fifty basically as of uh, next year. That's up from about a million one this year. So it applies to the vast majority of homes in America. Uh, but there are expenses, the high upfront fees. And it's obviously not ideal for somebody who wants to pass on the home to the next of kin. Because if you, Luke, if, you're, if your parents did this and they wanted you to live in that house, and let's say you wanted to live in your, in your parents' house after they pass, now you're saddled with this huge mortgage that needs to be paid off. And suddenly now it's, it's on you. So I think that's kind of the biggest caveat here is that you, you and your next of kin have to be okay with whenever you pass away, that home being sold outright. So uh, I think this is, uh, this is a good alternative to things like cash out re refinances, home equity loans, home equity lines of credit, but you have to be sure you're going to live in there for at least the next decade, probably more for the high fees to really pay off. But uh, it, it does make sense for the right person. Now, the next invest talk, we look into this story. Three ways you can take advantage of extended RMD ages. The extra time can be used to plan Roth conversions, consider tax breaks like qualified charitable distributions, and reduce taxable income sooner at lower tax rates. We're going to get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and we're ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, 
InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. This is Invest Talk, and helping you achieve your financial freedom is the primary objective. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. Hello, Invest Talk. Mike from Texas. I'm a new investor just over a year now. I own 10 companies in six sectors. I'd like to get to about 20 to 25 stocks in my portfolio over the next couple of years. One sector I am not in is basic materials. And I'm looking at Silvamo, ticker SLVM. Just want to know your thoughts on expanding my portfolio with Silvamo. It's been public for a few years now, made money every year they've been public. Their operations are global. Would this company still be a positive addition to my portfolio? Look forward to hearing your answer on the show. Thank you for all you do. Well, first and foremost, we are always for diversifying your portfolio, especially if you're only holding a handful of stocks. So Silvamo Corp operates as a paper company, produces uncoated free sheets for paper products such as cut-sized and offset paper. And it looks like they operate, Justin, in North America, Latin America, and Europe, which first and foremost, that's, that's a good sign for me given we don't have a lot of, the company doesn't have a lot of exposure to China, which is something we've been trying to avoid recently. But the thing that really strikes me at first is the debt levels on this company. So it's a $2 billion market cap company. Looks like it has about a billion in debt. That's a lot of debt for a small cap company, especially in a rising rate environment. Now, its valuations, it looks like peaked around January of this year and have come down to a more reasonable level. It's trading at a 2.49 price to book. And as the caller said, it has been making a lot of money, though the earnings per share is kind of all over the place. 2021, 7.5, 2022, $2.66, then 6 22 estimated this year and then $5 next year. So for me, given how new the company is, given how it's a small cap and how much debt levels it has, I'm not necessarily sure if I would make this uh, the addition to my portfolio that only has a couple stocks in it. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with most of that. I like the basic material space and, and I would say to echo your concerns, this is probably not the name that I would be jumping on. Now, one thing I do like, though, is its history of profitability. Um, current, current return equity is 43%. Now, a lot of that is due to the leverage, but it is consistently profitable. Um, but it's always been, only been public for a couple of years. So there's, some, there's a little bit of caveat there. Now, this does bring me back to what I was talking a lot about on air a few months ago, which is not just demand. So many people focus on the demand for products, but also, but, but what's, what oftentimes is even more important is supply. And this is a paper company. And just like when cigarettes were becoming so taboo and people realized how bad they were for you, not a lot of people were going in and starting new cigarette companies to compete with Philip Morris. And, that, mean, that meant that Phil Morris and Altria could dominate the market for decades, and they've been one of some of the best performing equities over the last you know, 40, 40 years or so. You can kind of argue the same thing with paper, right? How many people are, are, that are entrepreneurs are saying, you know what, I'm going to start a paper company in the digital age. 
not very many. So I think this is a name that could have some runway of consistent cash flow. You know, it's been an uptrend since it went public in 2021, uh, drastically outperformed last year, having a decent year this year. It's okay. Um, the technicals are neutral. They're probably say slightly bullish. Um, but I do worry a bit about that, those debt levels. Uh, and, and the cash flow has pulled back, but it's starting to reaccelerate to the upside. So I like that. Um, so I'm kind of on the fence for this. It's, it's a low yielding stock, but plenty of room to raise that dividend as long as they can keep those, those debt levels, um, in check. And that's really would be my deciding factor here. You talked about the level of debt. I do think that's important to, to keep an eye out on and, what are their maturity dates? Are they going to be able to refinance that that debt? Um, and are they paying that down? And it looks like they have. They peaked, it peaked at $1.5 billion in 2021, and now it's about a billion dollars in long-term debt. So they're making progress, and their free cash flow of $273.4 million allows them to probably pay down that debt pretty consider- considerably over the next few years. So um, I think you can find better alternatives, but I don't hate it. Does that make does that all make sense, Luke? Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think as always, you got to figure the opportunity cost of purchasing any name, and if if you're trying to get some materials exposure uh, as your first basic materials name, just not sure if I'd pick this one. I agree, but interesting name nonetheless. Very interesting. All right, now let's talk a bit about the the broader economy. And back in January 2020, the CBO, the so the Congressional Budget Office had predicted the growth of the economy over the next four years. And they predicted to be at 1.8%. And despite COVID and just the massive swings in the economy and, and, and restructuring of the economy, we pretty much had that amount of growth. Despite the big drawdown in 2020, and obviously the resurgence in, in 2021 and 2022. And unemployment was expected to be 4.2%. Now it's 3.9. And they expected the CPI would be up about 2.5%. Sorry, 2.4% back then. Now it's 2.5%. So slightly above that. So broadly, the economy... And sorry, the, the current inflation rate isn't 2.5. The current expected inflation rate is 2.5 going forward. So just caveat there. Um, but it seems like based on a lot of factors, things have largely been what the CBOE was projecting, which is very interesting. But in some ways, Luke, it's changed, right? Yeah, in some ways it's changed. You know, the analogy that... that- I saw was when you think about a natural disaster was kind of the only frame over which they could think about how the pandemic would work. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that was, that was true for a tiny period of time. Obviously you had massive unemployment, you had an accompanied massive stimulus by the, by the federal government that probably stemmed some of the, the worst effects that were going to come from that. But at the end of it, you know, a lot of people thought that the way that we interacted, the way we worked would change, but you're seeing a lot of companies go, go back to work. Uh, a lot of work has become, become more digital, but in a way we are in a place that's very similar to where we were before with, with some improvements as well. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest way the, the economy has changed is really inflation. 
And while I talked about inflation expectations, they're still relatively modest going out, you know, five, 10 years. Obviously, current inflation rates still remain kind of around that 3% mark, three, three and a half percent, depending on which measure you use, which is well above where we were pre-pandemic. And I think that is going to be sustained. Uh, and what this really did, what, what COVID did, was kind of snap us out of this low growth, low inflationary environment. And back to something that in reality is a bit more normal. I know it doesn't seem normal, but if you look back in history, inflation isn't typically 1% to 2% for, for decades on end. You go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, inflation was more in, uh, I average more in the, the mid single digits as opposed to, you know, barely registering anything. And obviously interest rates aren't typically rock bottom. They're typically something reasonable like they are now with a 10 year around 4%. So people are working more remotely and from home and in many ways, fewer hours. Uh, and that has changed social relationships, family priorities, et cetera. And consumption is, is skewed a little bit more to goods, but that is shifting back to some degree. So it, it's a really interesting new world we're living in. In some ways, not in a lot of, not a lot has changed. And in many other ways, everything has changed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I would push back on it's a it's a new world. And I would say rather than it being the old world, it's the old, old world. So more than go. anything, it showed that the most recent old world, the pre-pandemic world, was an anomaly, right? You had, yeah. you had depressed demand, post-financial crisis, you had interest rates near zero because of it. And so the new world looks a lot like how it used to be before 2008. Mm-hmm. Slightly yeah, higher and, inflation, and interest rates that are not terminally at zero. Um, I remember it, the new normal. The new was normal. the PIMCO uh, coined the term new normal? Mm-hmm. Well, now it's the old normal, right? Old, old. Old, old. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, we might have to uh, coin that one. I think. Uh, I don't think anyone else will one. take the old, old normal and try to trade market. So I think we're good. No? Okay. <laughs> I think we're good. All right. Well, let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Invest Stock Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Texas on 888 chart. Yeah, this is uh, Josh in Texas. Uh, I have a question regarding stock CNC or Centene Corporation. Well, I've held this stock for quite a while. It's up about 30%. And i uh, just curious with the current environment, if this is a stock that you would continue to hold or if it's something that you would potentially sell or at least take some profits on. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, looking at Centene Corporation and... This is a company that is focused on government-sponsored healthcare plans, including Medicaid, Medicare, and individual exchanges. So think of selling Medicare Advantage, Medicare Supplement plans, Medicare Part D, et cetera. And this is a name that had been a secular grower for a long period of time. It earned $2.22 back in 2016. Last year, it earned $5.78. But this year earnings down 2% and expected to be up 6% next year. No dividend, a decent amount of debt on its balance sheet. And what you see here is there's actually been a lot more scrutiny on these Medicare insurance, supplemental insurance companies and the way these plans operate. And I think especially with the 
budget the way it is, the government's going to start to look for ways to, to save and, and look for those areas of government spending where maybe private institutions like Centene taking advantage a little bit. And I think that's my issue here with this name. The technicals are relatively weak as well. This peaked out nearly $100 per share in 2022. Had a low of, what's 50 week low? $60 and change. Now we're at 72, spot 21 at the close today. I don't love the technicals. I don't love that, those earnings trends. And I don't love the scrutiny that government is putting on these type of names. What say you, Luke? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that Companies that deal directly with the government and through government programs can find some stability uh, in terms of cash flows, in terms of their business model. But over time, and especially something as hot button as Medicare and Medicaid, they face a lot of legislative risk. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the biggest problem facing the U.S. economy and the U.S. government and the people of the United States is the large amount of debt we have and continually ballooning deficits. So. I don't see how in the next 10 years the social safety net's not on the table. I could be wrong. Maybe it's that much of a political third rail that we'd rather bankrupt ourselves than deal with it. But I just think there's a lot of legislative risk for for this company and companies in this in this uh, sub-industry. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to pass on Centene Corporation, CNC. Now, the fourth quarter is drawing to a close. Christmas just five days away. It's making me sweat a little bit. And the question is, did the market make you sweat this year? There's a lot to sweat. There's so many people that are sweating. I've seen the sentiment throughout this year. It was so interesting is how everyone was worried about the market and the economy. And you know, I kept telling clients, it's hard to see a deflationary bust like 08. Everyone's focused on 08 when you have the level of background spending in the economy. The Obama tax cuts were $700 billion, sorry, not tax cuts, stimulus package was $700 billion. Right now, we spend a trillion dollars every single year on interest that goes into people's pockets, investors' pockets, et cetera. That's money going into the system. That is effectively government spending. It's hard to have a deflationary mindset when that's happening in the background. And so, you know, that tends to be good for asset prices, as long as inflation is not getting out of control, which three, 4%, that's not out of control. It's higher than we're used to, but it's not out of control. So the question is, are you set up? Are you the one that is saying, oh, I'm so worried about the economy. I'm not going to take any risk. Well, you missed out on, you know, double digit returns this year, 12, 15, 20 plus percent in depending on the strategy. So if you still hesitant, despite what you're seeing in the markets, I encourage you just get a second opinion do a portfolio review assessment with me via telephone or go to meeting. And I can run down your portfolio, show what risk you're taking and give you an understanding whether that's smart risk or not so smart risk. All right, let's see if we can squeeze another caller question in here. Hi, this is Jeremy from Tucson. A question about Biogen, B-I-I-B. I'd like to know your thoughts about it. Thank you. Biogen, IDEC, this was a darling for so long, revenue growth consistently through around the 2018 timeframe. And it's now struggled since basically the pandemic. It keeps having these spikes up and then spikes down. The technicals are very weak, Luke. I don't know. What do you think is dragging down this name? 
Well, for those who don't know what it does, it's a biopharmaceutical company engaging in discovering, developing, and delivering therapies for neurological and neurodegenerative diseases. And if I'm being frank, I see it's cash flow, free cash flow dropping off a lot in 2020. It could have been for some reason that I can't remember. Maybe we had different medical priorities in the past three years. Yeah, it could be that. Yeah, free cash flow in 2020 was $6.4 billion. Now, $1 billion. That's a dramatic change in the business model as a whole. Now, the good thing is they don't have a ton of debt compared to their their cash flow, et cetera, about $7 billion in debt on free cash flow, about a billion. That's not too bad. Uh, but I just don't love the trends here in earnings, cash flow, the charts. Nothing lines up. So uh, definitely going to pass on Biogen iDeck. This is InvestDoc. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrera, and we have one goal each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Oh, good afternoon. I was wondering what your thoughts are on Intel, I-N-T-C. I'm a longtime holder of the company and plan on holding it into the future. And I feel it's a strong company, but I was wondering what key fundamentals that you would be paying attention to that would be a, a potential sell. Anyhow, thank you very much. All right, looking at Intel Corporation, and this is a name that has lost its lead in the chip space to AMD and NVIDIA. But as of late, they, I think, have made some good changes. Obviously, the CHIPS Act is going to help them with domestic production and subsidizing uh, the growth of that domestic production. But also, they no longer have their CFO as their CEO, their ex-CFO as their CEO, which is typically not a great look, uh, especially for a tech company that needs to innovate. And so now they have a former CTO as their, uh, as their CEO. And that's going to help them, I think, innovate uh, much, much better. The technicals are very good as of late. Relative strength is 95. So, you know, you maybe want to wait for a pullback, but I think if you believe that the chip back is going to help Intel get back on its feet and its recent offerings, I think have certainly um, caught up in many, many ways to AMD, then, uh, you know, this is a a good name to, to jump on. Anything to add, Luke? Yeah, you know, I'm going to be very interested to see what uh, its next quarterly report is, to be honest, because their profitability over the past five years has been on a, on a pretty solid downtrend. But, you know, like you said, I think the competitive advantage that NVIDIA and AMD had is, is shrinking. Um, and as we talked about on a previous show with uh, Google and Gemini finding out ways to run large language models on mobile devices, um, I think that the, the, the ability of, of Intel to innovate within the next three, five years is going to be critical to the success of their business. So looking forward to earnings. Yeah. And the 
if it can run on a phone, right? AI and a phone, then you can probably run it with your standard Intel chip as well. So, yep. um, so I think that's uh, certainly going to help Intel on top of that. Now let's, lastly, let's talk a bit about the Red Sea. And most people don't, aren't interested in the Red Sea, but as of late, this is kind of the first place this, uh, this Israel, Gaza, geopolitical risk has spread. And it's basically the Iran-backed Houthis, their militants in Yemen, since November 19th, they're stepping up attacks in the Red Sea to show support for Hamas. And this has caused the volume in the Red Sea to drop, volume of vessels in in the Red Sea to drop about 14% from December 15th to the 19th compared to December 8th through the 12th. So week over week. And a lot of companies are, are starting to reroute their, their, their shipping. And this is basically the first shot across the bow, shall we say, um, within that region that this problem could continue to spread. Do you think this is more of a one-off, Luke, or do you think that there could be more issues? Well, it's certainly important for the U.S. and their allies to combat the attacks on these shipping lanes. You know, on November 19th, the, the Houthis uh, landed on a, a carrier, the Galaxy Leader, by helicopter, actually took it back to Yemen and are still holding the vessel and its crew. So I think a lot of these shipping shipping companies, what you've seen is they're moving their shipping lanes uh, ignoring the Red Sea and moving below the Cape, which becomes incredibly expensive, right? You're increasing the amount of fuel you need, the amount of shipping time. All this becomes very expensive right in a time where we feel as though we may be making some inroads on a long, long-term long inflationary problem. So what you don't want is is the, the requirement of moving shipping to a more costly uh, direction, uh, pushing inflation back up. So I think a lot of these carriers are going to be looking to see what this coalition does uh, what the rules of engagement are going to be and how they can prevent attacks on these ships in the future. Yeah, and the ships that tend to go through the Suez Canal, through the Red Sea, they tend to be a lot smaller. And when they have to go around all the way around Africa, the Cape, uh, the Cape of Africa, and uh, they usually have super tankers that hold four times as much of your typical tanker. Um, and so it's just going to be harder to move oil around the world. And this could create uh, a the next bout uh, or next catalyst for uh, higher prices in the oil market uh, going into next year. All right. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero. That completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.
Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.